Now what we're going to do for the rest of the time until Zohar, this next session, we are going to actually be talking about some things for the husbands, about 20 or so things, and then when we meet after Zohar, we'll talk about 20 or so things for the wives. The husband should take into account that a wife, principally speaking, needs three things from her husband. A wife, principally speaking, needs three things from her husband. The first, you can call it protection. Because when a woman originally gets married, she's leaving her home, she's leaving her parents, she's leaving her family. In some cases, she may even be leaving her city. In some cases, she even she's leaving her country. She's leaving all of that to go to the husband. So at the initial period, she needs to feel that same level of protection that she felt in her own home, with her own parents, in her own city. So that sense of protection, security, honor. And this isn't just physical protection from physical threat, but in terms of protection means she should feel provided for. Maybe put it that way. She should feel that she is being provided for. Now this brings us to the first thorny issue. Is that to what extent is a husband required to provide for his wife? Especially the question of joint family living. Now, you have to understand that there are some technical laws of Sharia. And there are some practicable realities of life. And in this case which we're about to discuss, many times people have to discover some balance between the technical laws of Sharia and the practical realities of their life. And both parties should be understanding of the other if due to legitimate genuine reasons the husband or wife is not always able to do everything that the Sharia may technically require of them. So first the technical laws of the Sharia is that yes, a woman wife is entitled to her own even I'll tell you this in a hadith I'm trying to remember from when we studied this on the mother's side because it just came to my mind right now, it's not in my notes but from when I remember it was in Abu Dawud but I can't say for sure but I remember doing this hadith in the course of our hadith studies that if a man tells his a woman in the prospective wife that after we get married, we will live in this city. And these are one of the things that he says, and he said it in a type of promise, and a type of commitment, that after marriage, even the wife is entitled to hold him to that promise. In the Sharia, she can say that when you were proposing for me, when you were discussing your proposal with my parents, you had said at that time that you would keep me in city X. Now you have to keep me in city X. You cannot move me to city Y. So in terms of the technically speaking, the rights that Allah subhanahu has given the wife, she has that right. Now why am I saying these words? So let me show you practicable reality. It doesn't mean that Allah wants the wife to insist on these technicalities every single time. If she is a good wife, she will also see that maybe my husband is not having employment in this city. And he has had gainful employment in that city. Being gainfully employed is something that my husband needs to feel fulfilled. It's something he needs in order to provide for me. It's something he needs for his emotional happiness. 
So the wife is not meant, just like we said to the men, that when Allah made you qawam of the nasa, was it a technical authority which was unrestrained? So similarly, yes, if the sharia has given a wife certain technical legal rights, it doesn't mean she should always demand for them. Because you tell me what type of marriage would that be if each one just demands the rights of one another. Let me tell you, what. let me actually portray that picture for you. What is 100% technically allowed in Islam? And you tell me if that is a technical knockout to your marriage or not. Hmm? Number one, the wife does not have to do anything. She doesn't have to cook. She doesn't have to clean. She doesn't have to drop the children. She doesn't have to pick the children. The husband has to do everything. Number two, the husband can say, okay, I will do all of that, but I don't have to talk to you at all. I don't have to listen to you at all. I don't have to spend time with you at all. He can say, I'll do that. Technically, legal. Would anybody want to, can anybody, this is against spirit of Quran. This is not muwadda. This is not rahmah. This is not sukoon. So we should not take a technical understanding of nikah. It reached the case in one Muslim country I went to. It's not the UK. or I don't know if this is true for the UK or not. But in one Muslim country I went to, sorry, it was actually one non-Muslim country I went to, the Muslim community there, it was famous amongst the young graduates from Darululum that I don't want to marry an alama. And I was stunned. I said, you're becoming an alam. It's the best match for you. And mashallah, that as a couple you can do work of deen together. And then your wife, she can handle the women and you can handle the men. That's the best thing for you. I said, no way am I ever marrying an alama. I said, what's the matter with you? He says, because in our community, the women who are studying ilm, they learn these things because they read the books of fiqh and they've seen the laws that the jurists have written. Uh, and this is a Hanafi mother. In Shafi mother, a woman has to do a lot of these things. But in the Hanafi mother, a woman has not to, she can say, I don't want to cook. I don't cook. I don't clean. I do nothing. I don't do any of the household work. And they said that some of the alamas are actually technically applying this to themselves. And now nobody wants to get married to them. This is not the purpose of learning sharia and fiqh and usuhu, that you take a technical, non-spiritual approach to life. Always remember, even if something is technically okay in sharia, in marriage, if it goes against, that's why I mentioned those ayat in the beginning, if it's not sukoon, not muadda, not rahmah, not libas, not maruf, if it doesn't fall under those things, you can say that yes, I'm strictly speaking okay according to the jurist, but I'm very strictly going against my Allah Ta'ala's wish for me as he expressed in Qur'an. Alright? Okay. Technically speaking, a woman is entitled to her own home. Now this is not just technical. This is actually something that is the idea. That if the husband is able to provide for the own home for the wife. Now own home doesn't necessarily mean have to be a separate building. It could be an apartment or a flat or a portion. Right? But it has to be a space where the woman can call her own. So that because although the man is the manager of the administrative affairs of the household, the woman is in charge of the day-to-day operation of the household. So much so that one of the ulama of India, Sheikh Ashafali Tanvinantale, he said in Urdu, Kitula alag hona which in English means that there should be a separate kitchen. And I'm amazed at this one piece of wisdom it is. Because we have encountered cases where daughter-in-law and mother-in-law are fighting precisely over this reason as to what food should be cooked or not be cooked or who is cooking well or not cooking well. So he must have had such experiences 
And so he wrote in one of his works that the kitchen must be separate. First and foremost, he said, the very first thing that you should make sure is independent is your kitchen. Maybe because that is the domain of a woman more often than not. And she needs to have some autonomy and freedom and independence in her own domain. Just like a man wants autonomy and freedom and independence in his own domain. Just like you would not want your father-in-law asking you about each and every single thing that you do. Yes? <laughs> so then imagine that your wife is not going to be comfortable with her mother-in-law asking her about each and every single thing that she does. So this is not just technical. This is the strongly preferred thing indeed that the husband and wife should live separately. Separately doesn't mean emotional separation. Now the problem is in that in many of our traditional Islamic cultures, uh, the parents find this deeply offensive. And this even suggesting that you want to live separately causes an extreme uh, scene in the home. So this has to be handled with wisdom. One way is to try to live as close as possible. Because there's no, you don't have to be distant. You could literally be in the next door house, across the street, in an apartment on a different floor, in an apartment on the same floor. So one way is to practical, and I'm talking about the practical reality. If your parents, if the men's parents, right, aren't happy with this idea, then you have to try to make them as pleased as possible while being separate. That means next door, same floor, same building, etc. That means promising that you will visit and take care of them as if, as if you were living with them. And being true to such a level of promise and relation, right? But you have to try to gently but wisely extricate yourself from that situation. All of this is when the husband is financially able to do so. However, sometimes another practical case is that the husband is genuinely not financially able to afford separate accommodation. And in fact, when he got married, now this is a whole separate, which I wasn't going to do, but there are a lot, you know, a lot of things that are supposed to take place before marriage. And one of the problems we find ourselves in is that because things that were supposed to be discussed and negotiated and understood and revealed before marriage aren't done so. So this should be something, and maybe, maybe if we get time we may give you a whole session on this, that what should have been done before marriage. Because even those who are married already may realize that we didn't do a lot of those things before, so fine, better late than never. One of those things that should be clearly discussed and the parents of the daughter should be educated that they should do this. The husband and the parents of the husband should be educated. They must share this. Is what will be the likely living setup of your daughter in our home. Share that. And when you share it and you have that discussion beforehand, then the right and expectation goes down. Then the husband can say, but look what my parents were proposing for you. They made it clear to your parents that at this moment I cannot financially afford separate accommodation and that at least for the foreseeable future we would be living with my parents and that was something you knew on the flip side the girl may say yes that's something that was told but I don't really know what this means and it's only when I actually entered your home and realized what it means to live with in-laws now I've realized that there's something I cannot do so now the wife should realize that if there's something that yes the sharia entitles you to but your husband generally is not able to do it financially, then for you to insist and demand upon something that's never going to happen anyway, right, is just going to destroy your marriage. 
So that means you have to shift to plan B. Means you have to try, and that's a whole other topic, right? Daughter-in-law and mother-in-law relations. That's another workshop in of itself, right? But you have to find a way to get along peacefully, to manage the situation, to do sulha, to reconcile yourself with your situation. Alright? But if the husband is financially available, able to do so, and he doesn't want to do so because of the emotional needs of the parents, and if the wife is comfortable living with the parents, that's also fine. Sometimes it may happen, it's not always. Many times, and you know, we hope that increasingly more times, the daughter-in-law and mother-in-law sometimes get along, and maybe she actually sees the benefits, because there are certain benefits, living in a joint family. So that's also fine, which is more than welcome to stay, right? But if there's a situation where she wants that she should have a separate accommodation, and the husband can afford such a separate accommodation, then it is the duty and responsibility on that husband to provide that separate accommodation for her. Alright? Even though it may be against the emotional wishes of his parents. And then, so then what will happen is that will create an emotional fallout. So now the husband will have to do the sulha with his own parents rather than keeping his wife in a situation where she has to do sulha with her parents. So this is a bit of a complex area, but this is generally speaking, and it can play out in different ways, but one thing that a woman needs is a sense of protection, provision, security. Especially when it comes to matters of deen. And we've noticed this sometimes in young men and women who get married for the sake of deen, so the woman wants to have an environment in home which is more according to deen. Let's say, for example, she doesn't want the television in her home, but the man's parents they have a television in their home. And now when the woman has children, now she's even more worried that I wanted all my life to raise my children in a particular way. But for me to raise them in that particular way, I need to have a particular independence and control over the environment. And if I have to raise my children in my in-law's house, where there may be TV, there may be movies, there may be music, maybe my father-in-law smokes, there may be X, Y, Z things, then I'm finding it difficult. So if this is the reason why the woman wants to be separate, then this is the most noble reason and sincere intention. And in that case, the husband must try his level best and he should also have the same intention that I want to raise my children, our children, in an environment which is more conducive to deen of Islam. So if this is the case, and, and yes, certainly parents will say, they will also invoke Islam and tell the son that you have to obey us and paradise lies at my feet. And he said, paradise lies at your, my feet, my mother, but my apartment will be ten feet away from your feet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and even in Jannah, inshallah, if we all make it into Jannah, I can guarantee you that there will be separate accommodation in Jannah. If you and your wife make it into Jannah, and inshallah, inshallah, your parents make it into Jannah, you will not be living in shared accommodation. You will be given separate accommodation by Allah SWT. So even there the paradise may lie at the feet of the mother, but you will be ten feet away in terms of your accommodation. Alright? But this is a very delicate situation. Very delicate situation. But I want to clear what uh, it is, what is the right and response, right of the wife and the responsibility of the husband, but that the wife should also be reasonable about the reality and ability that the husband should have. Alright? So this was the first thing that a wife needs. She needs that sense of protection. Now that sense of protection doesn't mean that she necessarily has to have a fancy house. 
or a very fancy house she cannot have everything so the husband can reasonably tell that look my parents house is large what do you call it in England leafy leafy suburb hmm? and if you want your own home we have to move to non leafy street <laughs> and you cannot have both <laughs> you cannot have both so she has to realize that okay no and if her intention was true she's more concerned about what happens inside the four walls of her home in terms of the environment according towards the then one thing I also have to mention however in old age if somebody's parents reach a state in which they are physically now dependent in terms of the need for khidmah they need to live with their children at that point the woman is not entitled to separate accommodation but what's supposed to happen is the husband has his own accommodation the husband and wife and the in-laws come live with them the man cannot understand this difference. He says, what's the difference? We're going to be living together anyway. Why don't we live with them in their house? It's a world of a difference. Difference is as follows. If you and your wife live with your parents to serve them in your parents' house, the whole environment is how your parents will determine it except for your bedroom. However, if your parents come to live with you in your house, which they must if you need to support them, they're dependent on you, the whole environment of the house will be yours and your wife's except for their bedroom. It's a world of a difference. So that is the solution that Islam offers in this situation. That yes, you can do so. Then again, the parents will present their emotional things. That we've been living in this house for 30 years. How can you expect me to move? I can't leave my room. Yes, it will be a process. It will be a painful process for you to explain to them. Right? But at some point, again, if they are in a state when they are in such need of khidmah, they, in a sense, will have no choice. You have to do sulha. You have to try to ease that process for them as much as possible. Tell them that you will have a better room in our place. You will have the same furniture, everything. This room will be ditto copy. We will make the exact replica of that in our home. We want you to come live with us. We want you to be with us. The daughter-in-law should tell her mother-in-law, I want you to be with us. My doors are open to you. Our home is open to you. But it's our home. Our home. Alright? Okay. Second thing, so first thing that the wife needs from her husband is protection. Second thing that the wife needs from her husband is attention. First was protection. Second is attention. Now this is something I'm going to talk about a bit more tomorrow. But very briefly it means that the husband has to show his wife that he is interested in what she does. He must listen to what she says. He must be expressing concern. Sometimes we find that some women complain that my husband was so busy he didn't have time to take me to the doctor. This is the same husband that if he comes home and has a slight headache, he wants his wife to turn all attention to him. All children should have tape put on their mouths so they should not speak. Everything should be made absolutely quiet because I have a headache. And the wife has a proper illness which requires medical treatment, not just one pill. And the husband is too busy to take her, too busy to make an appointment. So then what happens when the wife feels neglected? The wife feels that she is not receiving the attention that she deserves, she should have gotten. Sometimes what happens is something happens to the wife. Maybe somebody was mean to her Something happened at school when she picked up the children and she's having supper and she's just waiting that when my husband comes home I will share my words with him and he walks home and he is not interested at all. 
he goes, he drives by her at 10 miles an hour and goes straight to his computer and wants to check his email. He goes straight to his computer and wants to check the latest football score. He's more interested in what 12 men on the field in Barcelona are doing to 12 men on the field who came from Madrid. He's more interested in that. What do 12, I don't know, I actually don't know about football or soccer. Is it 12? 11, right? Okay. So what 11 men are doing to one another with one ball, he's more interested in that. You don't think she can tell that. You're oblivious. You generally sometimes imagine you know, but I wasn't, I didn't know. It was your job to know. <laughs> yes, you generally don't realize that you weren't giving your attention, but it was your job to realize that you were supposed to give her attention. Alright? Okay. Sometimes for the man what this means is that you may come home and you may yourself have had a difficult time at work. You may have had some tough experience. And when you come home, you yourself are in need of consolation. You are not emotionally ready right now to console somebody else. Right? Now, remember, your wife doesn't know that. She has no way of knowing that. So, what the husband does, instead of sharing it with her, the look, you know, I had a really tough time today myself. He just snaps at her. What's the matter with you? Why are you talking to me about such small, trivial things? Do you think I care about this? Sometimes they even say those words. Do you think I care about... You say words, right? That are exactly opposite to what we're supposed to be. Do you think I'm really interested in this type of stuff? You can, that's a sentence. It's a haram sentence. You should think that you can never say that sentence. You may express that in a different way. You may try to tell her, look, we should focus on other things. We shouldn't be worried about such a thing. But you can never say point blank that do you really think I could care about this? Right? And this is a problem, right? Now, you, you will forget you said that. You may even secretly make toba in your own heart for saying that, but you have created a damage that is very difficult to undo. That's why Sayyidina Rasulullah said that the tongue, the words expressed by a person's tongue, inflicts a damage that even swords cannot inflict. Yes, because you can put the band-aid on the physical wound. It's very difficult to even figure out where to put the band-aid on the spiritual wound. On the emotional world. So we should be very careful with our words. Third thing that the wife needs, basic requirement, is appreciation. So first was protection. Second was attention. And third is appreciation. And yes, this means even such a basic thing as telling her that you enjoyed the food when you generally enjoy it. What happens is the man is just lazy. He actually really enjoyed the meal that day. But he's like, yeah, she's my wife. I mean, you know, we don't have to get into such formalities that I have to actually say I liked it. They say, oh, this is the the kaloki kazurzin. Right? No, actually you have to show it. Right? Everyone needs appreciation. You know, one thing that amazes us whenever we go to a zoo or you go take the children to the dolphin show, you see something that even animals need appreciation. Yes? When the dolphin does the jump, he needs to get the fish. And you see the animal trainer is so smiling at them, and keep patting them on his head and giving him the fish. Hmm? If even animals need appreciation, so your wife, she's insan. <laughs> she's insan and mu'min. Hmm? Don't you see how much appreciation Allah subhanahu wa gives us in Quran? That is one of his asmal husnays, ash-shukur. What does ash-shukur mean? We are supposed to be abdu-shukur. Ash-shukur means that being who appreciates and values the iman and a'mal that we sent to him. If you think about it, our amal have no value at all. 
Our amal are so naqis, so najis, so hypocritical, so deficient, that Allah Ta'ala is shukur, He discovers, He values, He appreciates it. So when Allah Ta'ala is so appreciative of us, that means we should be appreciative of one another. So the third thing that a wife needs, she needs appreciation. And I just gave the example of food, but it's not just food. It can be something she did, something she said, right? Some way she behaved, some way she helped you out. Anything, the way she takes care of your children, if nothing else, right? Now, yes, fine, you can say that that's her job, and my job is to work, and her job is to take care of the children. But even if it's her job, or her duty, or her responsibility, you should still appreciate that. You want to show up on the Day of Judgment, but it was your job to pray. I don't give you dinner for that. That's what you were supposed to do. No, we are hoping and counting that Allah Ta'ala is somehow in His infinite mercy going to be a shakur and appreciate these amal, in fact value them much more than their worth and give us jannah in exchange for that. So we should also appreciate the things our wife does, even if they're a matter of routine, they're a matter of duty, a matter of obligation. Just think even for one day, for one hour, she didn't look after the children. Where would you be? You would be nowhere. <laughs> Your whole job would collapse. Your whole life would come crumbling down. We know, the men know what happens when they ask us to look after the kids for half an hour. Unless you're better than me, basically that half an hour is finished for you. You're gone. You wouldn't have that ability. Right? So how much she does for you, for your children, for your family, and you should also appreciate if she does something for your parents. Instead of every time when she does the slightest mistake to your parents, you always point that out. But how can we never appreciate all the time she was good to your parents? You have to do both, right? You have to do both. So the three things that a woman needs, wife needs, is protection, attention, and appreciation. Now we're going to talk about the ten big mistakes that the husband makes, then ten rules for the husband. And we complete the 20, and like I said, after Zohar, we went to 20 things for the wife. 10 mistakes the husband makes. First mistake. First mistake husband makes is ignoring his wife. One example, at a family gathering, so he takes his wife to meet his parents, and he's sitting with his two sisters, and his father, and his mother, and his wife is there. And he ignores his wife entirely, the whole time. And the wife feels that I'm... What happened? As, as if I don't exist. His sisters must think that I mean nothing to him. His sisters are just saying that he has just parked me here. Like he parked the car outside, he parked me inside. And now he's just busy with his family. He's ignoring me completely. Ignoring me completely. And the madrasa, they used to tell this story of a talib ilm who was married. But, I mean, it's good in a sense, but it's not good for today's topic. That he was so into his books, he didn't show an interest in his wife. So much so that his wife would start walking around him, like doing tawaf around him. Not in an ibadah, but walking around him, trying to get his attention. And he was not able to be diverted at all from his books. Didn't show his wife attention. Sayyidina Abu Dadda, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, sahaba, Rasulullah, sallam. His wife complained to the Prophet, he doesn't give me attention. Yes. He fasts all day and he prays all night. And so Sayyidina Rasulullah called Abu Dardah and said, is this what you do? And he thought he was going to get appreciated. He didn't know that wife had came and told. So Sayyidina Rasulullah called him and said, do you fast all day and pray all night? Maybe he was thinking, oh my Allah Ta'ala has inspired my Nabi that I fast all day and pray all night. Huh? 
He said, yes, I fast all day and I pray all night. Say another person, what's the matter with you? What's the matter with that your family has a right to you, your body has a right over you? Being trained, trained, trained by Sayyidina Rasulullah. So he started paying attention to his wife. Right? He started paying attention to his wife. So the first mistake that we make is that we ignore the wife. One way of ignoring is that the wife sees, will the wife notice? She will notice that what makes you happy. A wife is very skilled at this, she will be able to tell that what, when is it that you're happy. And if she gets the signal that you're happy when you are at work, you're happy when you meet your old friends, you're happy when you're with your family, and when you're with me, you're not happy. Not necessarily unhappy, but being with me doesn't give you any joy and doesn't light up your face, she will feel ignored. Because he's ignoring me. I mean nothing to him. I'm not even a light in his life. And he has so many other lights in his life. And then the end result of this is when you keep ignoring your wife, even if you're innocent, any woman is then going to get suspicious. She's going to get skeptical. She's going to have doubts. And if you are innocent and she has doubts, then you will get angry. When she expresses those doubts, you will get in a rage. Right? You will be enraged. Any innocent person in the world, when they are accused of something, they enter into a rage. So yes, she was wrong to accuse you or suspect you, but why did it happen? What brought it to this point? Because you were ignoring her. And you kept ignoring her. And you kept on ignoring her. So the solution is not to be enraged. The solution is to identify why does she have this doubt about me and it's because I've been ignoring her. So the solution is to stop ignoring the wife. So the first major mistake that the husband makes is that he ignores his wife. Second is, and this is in no particular order, right? Second is he says something which is a very loose thing that he says on his tongue. He threatens divorce. This is a big mistake. Actually, I will tell you honestly, I will not call this a fatwa. This is my recommendation to you. I cannot call it a fatwa, strictly speaking. I'm tempted to bring out the mufti, (laughs) but I cannot technically call this a fatwa. It's my very, very strong recommendation to you. You should never, ever, ever allude to or threaten divorce. Divorce is something that Allah Ta'ala has put in deen and that is to be done as last resort. And if that last resort takes place, one should do it in a calm, deliberate, noble manner. It is not something to be used as a threat. It is not something to be used as a taunt. It is not something to be used in a cynical, sarcastic, mocking way. And certainly it's not something that you're supposed to whip out the sword at the slightest of things. And you have to be more skillful. If sometimes your wife is not being obedient or not listening or she's incorrect, you cannot think that the every way, the solution to this is every time to threaten her with divorce. It's a mistake parents make also. They tell them, I'll kick you out of the house. This is not something to say to a child. This is not the threat that you use. Right? So this threat of divorce, right? In many words, the person says this, go, well, you, if you don't like it here, you can go back to your parents. 
Right? It's not the right sentence to say. It's a big mistake to say that. Because again, you say it in a state of anger, you forget about it. And you get over it. But you have said something to her that she cannot get over. You have shaken her world. She left every single thing she knows and she's living with you. And you are just treating it so casually that you can just go back if you want. You've shown her that you can drop her like a hat if you want to. Even though, fine, you didn't do it. Even if you say, no, no, I was just bluffing or I was just teasing. But this is a very big mistake. This type of bluffing, even if this type of teasing, this type of statement is terrible to say. You can go back to your own home. I can find somebody better than you. Allah hmm? Akbar. This will set off a train of thought in your wife's mind. That this is what he's thinking. Or maybe he's already found somebody better. Maybe he has his eye on somebody he thinks he's better. You didn't even mean that when you said that. You were just angry. You actually have no idea of anyone who's better. But you said words that convey that meaning. So this is a very, very big mistake. And then what happens is when you instigate your wife to have worry, then she will misperform. She will misbehave. But you put her in that anxiety. Your words put her in that deep anxiety. Now, in this state of anxiety, she is going to do things that are problematic. That are generally problematic, but she did them because you put her in this state of deep anxiety. So, this statement should never, ever, ever be said. Ever be said. And sometimes there's another type of woman, right, who is not the most pious woman. And if you tell her this, that, oh, I could leave you, well, the woman who is not pious, she may also do something else. She may say, okay, if he's talking like this, that he can leave me, or he wants to send me back to my home, parents' home, or that he can find somebody better than me, then maybe I should also be in the lookout for somebody better than him. Why should I leave myself alone at his mercy in case he decides to do so? That is not the right way to do it, right? But if a woman sees not on taqwa, yes, and you say this sentence to her, she will make some backup arrangement for herself. And now she has SMS and she has internet, she can do that. Yes? She has SMS and internet, she can do that. You put her in that situation. It's still not jai, it's still 100% haram for her to do that, but you are also responsible. Remember, husband and wife are supposed to bring out the best in one another. You're not supposed to bring the worst out in a person. Everyone has an element of sin in them. فَأَلْهَمَهَا فَجُورَهَا وَتَّقْوَاهَا Allah Subhanahu has placed inside of us the element of pujur, the element of sin and immodesty and vulgarity, and the element of taqwa. Those sentences that we say to our wife that could potentially bring about the pujur in her, we are also going to be responsible without removing her responsibility at all for that, but we'll also be responsible. So we should be very careful before we say anything like that. Sometimes you will find that you find a husband and wife who argue over trivial things. This is what we call bickering. That they're always bickering with one another. Arguing with one another. Never ever threaten divorce in just over bickering or arguing over petty arguments. You should know that Sayyidina Rasulullah said that in Allah's eyes divorce is is the most 
reprehensible, the most detestable of all permissible things. Means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates divorce. But He made it permissible because in very few rare circumstances, it is genuinely better for the husband and wife to amicably, peacefully, honorably go their separate ways. This is the second mistake. And you should know that in Quran Al-Kareem, Allah subhanahu wa mentioned, right, uh, that uh, divorce is the last resort. You should first admonish her verbally. You should separate the beds. You should go to the third party reconciliation. You should reprimand her. That is that wife that was guilty of adultery, by the way. That's this eyes about a woman who is guilty of, some of the Mufassirun say, any act of infidelity. And some say it applies only to that woman who is guilty of the ultimate act of infidelity, which is called adultery. Even that, can you imagine, that Allah Ta'ala is saying to the man in Qur'an, that even the wife who committed adultery, you should just try to admonish her verbally first, and see if you can get back together. And if that doesn't work, separate your beds from her for a little bit, and then see if you can get back together. And how much does Allah Ta'ala want people to remain in this marriage bond? How much does He want them to stay? So here, I, maybe later on we can talk about, uh, if we get time, this issue of divorce. Third mistake that the husband makes is threatening to marry another woman. This is their favorite line. A Muslim man, this is one ayah of the Quran that he's mufassir. He's mufassir Quran in this ayah. Right? I can always marry another one. Hmm? You see that spare bedroom around the hall? Hmm? You don't know what a devastating impact this has on the psyche of your wife. Now let me comment on this. And my view on this is radically different from the UK ulama. I say it openly. And I'm not saying it as a challenge or anything like that. But I'm letting you know that there are other views out there. And I'm letting you know honestly. My view is radically different from the UK ulama. For many UK ulama on this issue. My view is you should not marry a second one. Yes. My understanding of Quran Kareem and the Sunnah of Nabi Kareem Sallallahu is that this permission to marry a second wife is a very unique, limited, restricted thing. And it's not meant to be the norm. Out of 120,000 Sahaba Ikram, from just a rough estimate, less than 5% had more than one wife. Less than 5% had more than one wife. When you read about the lives of Mufassireen, Muhaddithin, Fuqaha, Usuliyeen, Awliya, Siddiqeen, Sadiqeen, Sadiqeen, from my years of study of history and biography, again, relatively few, strong minority, significant minority had more than one wife. So it means that we must learn the meaning of Qur'an from the people who do amal on Qur'an. We must learn the understanding from the people who have the practice. And what we understand from the practice is this is not the norm. This is not even a 50%. This is an extreme minority case that people used to do this. Second, is the way people, and maybe I will have to comment on this since I am in the UK, right? The way it is done in the UK, I have no problem saying 95% of it is against this law. Because indeed having a second wife doesn't mean having a mistress and a wife. It means having a second wife. 
Now the man says, no, technically, technically I've gotten her to waive all her rights. Technically she has said I can just meet her once a month. Technically she has agreed not to have children. Technically she has agreed not to ever come in the public realm. Technically she has agreed never to come to my parents. Who are you? Allah SWT, you have sovereign authority to make these technical exceptions to yourself. When Allah SWT has decreed through the Sunnah of Nabi Kareem his hadith about the person who has more than one wife, equitably, equally, fairly, justly, who are you to change the Sunnah? So you are 99.9999999% of second wives in the UK are khilaf sunnah Khilaf sunnah An outright khilaf sunnah Not slightly khilaf sunnah Or 100% against the sunnah teachings of Sayyidina Rasulullah And it's just a man indulging in his lust Now if it was just you I would explain to you even more clearly What this is You don't want a second marriage You want a second honeymoon and when that second honeymoon ends, then you're stuck in the marriage. Then you go for the third honeymoon. Yes, I even know cases like that. Fourth honeymoon. Then divorcing one of the four wives just because he wants yet another honeymoon. Yes, for no other reason. I also tell you that. To divorce a woman for no reason is a sin, in the punishable sin in the eyes of Allah SWT. Yes. So it has reached such cosmic, astronomical proportions in this country. And even incidents we know of people who are otherwise on deen, Khair won't want to go any further than that. Alright? There are few places in this world where this is done properly. One is Saudi Arabia, one is Somalia. Saudi Arabia, mashallah, he's a rich man, he has a four-story house, he has four cars, Exactly the same. Every single thing, right down to it, it gives four bank accounts. Every month, the exact same amount is put into that. Every time he goes to Umrah, he alternates between one of those four. It's ajeeb. Nobody in UK is doing that. I guarantee you. Second example is Somalia. You don't have to be rich to do it. He is living in one hut and all four wives are communal living. All four women are there and all the kids are running around and everybody's everybody's mother and everybody's everybody's children. But they're all equally publicly known to be his wife. In both cases, equally publicly known to be his wife. That is not the case what's happening in the UK. It's outright khilaf sunnah Outright khilaf sunnah and indulging in nafs. Once you allow yourself to be a slave of nafs, even inside Sharia, even inside Sharia you make yourself a slave of the nafs, the nafs will take you outside of Sharia. In any case, this much I can tell you. That nobody can defend khilaf sunnah second wife. You cannot defend that. Because it's against the sunnah. Against the sunnah teaching method. Another thing is that how did this fellow meet the second wife? I guarantee you will find something haram took place. How did he identify her? Maybe 1% would say, oh I asked my mother to pick a second wife for me. I don't think so. Somehow you identified her yourself. So before nikah, in that whole process of identification and attraction, all of that was haram. All of that was 100% haram. 100% haram. 
the attraction that you had to a woman prior to nikah. Clear? So we wanted to mention this. Right? But as far as in this case, the husband who doesn't even have any intention of getting married again, but if he says this jokingly, and I'm telling you honestly, no matter how close you are to your wife, this is the one joke that you cannot afford. No matter how wonderful your relationship is, this is the one joke that you cannot afford to make. Those of you who have tried, have know, have learned <laughs> that this is not the joke you can make to your wife. Alright? And I also tell you in all seriousness, deen is not something to be joked about. Even the provision for second marriage is an action. It's not a joke. It's not a threat. It's not a speech. It's not a statement. That's an amal. An amal that a person can do if they do it according to the teachings of the sunnah. So this is the third big mistake that the husband says. Just imagine, although fine, yes, it's not permissible. But I want you to think of the effect of the words. What effect would the words have on you if your wife said, I'll take a second husband? Forget that it's not halal. It's not just, right? But what effect would that have on you emotionally if she said that to you? Exactly the same effect happens on the wife when you tell her that, oh, I can take a second wife. Alright? Okay. Fourth mistake that the husband makes is sometimes he humiliates his wife in front of others. He pokes fun of her. He scolds her. He reprimands her when other people are there. Yes, it may happen that you have to say something to correct your wife. But you must always praise her publicly and reprimand her privately. Should never, especially in front of her own parents, in front of your own parents, and in front of your two's own children, you should never scold your wife. Never reprimand your wife. Because there are two ways of reprimanding. One is what we call in Arabic, ta'diban. Ta'diban, for adab, in order to correct some incorrect behavior. And another is called tazlilan, to bring, make that person zalil, to bring them into zilla. Any and every time you reprimand her in front of someone else, whether it was your conscious intention or not, you did tazlil. You made her zalil. You humiliated her. You disgraced her. And that's not allowed in Islam. It is allowed to correct her, to point something out, to counsel her, right? That is allowed. But to disgrace and humiliate her, that is not allowed. What is the simple difference? The difference is whether you do it publicly or you do it privately. And you have to have that self-control. You cannot say, I got so angry, I couldn't control myself. I didn't notice that the children were there. How can you not notice your children? How can you say, I don't notice my children are there? Hmm? You notice the police is there. You wouldn't have talked to her like that in front of your boss at work. You notice these things. You can't notice your own children. And any of you have made this mistake, you know what happens. <laughs> you know what will happen to you if you scold your wife in front of your children. So this is a mistake. We should not do that. Alright? Fifth mistake that a husband makes is that he doesn't give enough time to his wife. Simply, I'm talking time. I'm not talking about quality attention. I'm talking quantity here. Separate item. Amount of time does not give enough time to his wife. And one of the big fitness today is the screen. If you give more time to your screen, whether it's the smartphone screen, the iPad screen, the laptop screen, 
if you give more time to your screen than you give to your wife, that is a problem. That is a problem. We have had women communicate to us that their husband is an addict of video games. He comes home from work and he goes on the net and he's playing video games for hours. Right? Or he's addicting to watching sports on the TV screen. Or he's addicted to oh, so many types of screens now that you have. And so many types of images to see on that screen. That is going to be a big mistake that a person has done. Husband must spend time with the wife. When you don't spend time with the wife, the marriage will start to disintegrate. It will evaporate into thin air. So sometimes we have to learn to turn off the screen, to turn off every screen. You must actively, practically do this. You must set aside blocks. You can never plan your whole life. You must set aside a block. So for example, Saturday, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., I'm going to do nothing except spend time with wife or family. Means you have to turn, you have to turn all the wireless off. You have to, you can turn your phone off for four hours. When we grew up, we had no phones. <laughs> yes, you have to turn everything off. And then I ask you to check yourself. If when you do that, you feel a restlessness, it's also a sign you become addicted to this media. If it disturbs you, if you get sad, <laughs> you get sad when you turn these things off and you put them away lovingly and you say, I'll be right back, honey. That's what your, your laptop is your wife. You put it away and say, honey, I'll be back at 3 p.m. I just, I gotta spend time with this one for a little bit. Right? That's how you emotionally feel. So that's a good, it's a good, what we call, ragra ragra. It's a good mujahada for you. It's a good self-disciplining for you. You have to disconnect. Yes, we are over-connected to things other than our wife. So sometimes you have to disconnect from those things in order to be to connect to your wife. You are not strong enough that you can remain connected to so many things and connect with your wife. So you'll have to disconnect. Make a block. It doesn't maybe 11 to 3 is too much. Start with whatever you can. Start with whatever you can. She will appreciate that hour like you gave her a century. A century. If you dedicate one hour to her. Nobody will appreciate the time you give them like your wife. Your computer will never value the time you give it. The cell phone will never value the time you give it. Those 12, 11 Barcelonians and 11... Where do you have Liverpool? Your 11 Liverpoolians and 11 United Manchesterians will never appreciate the time that you give them. You should give that time to your wife. You have to give time. Then what happens if you notice that the man he gives time to so many other things and then he falls asleep. Husband crashes. He conks out. This is nothing I will tell you. Generally also for your deen. You should always sleep deliberately. Never crash. Never conk. I don't know if this, you use this in British English. Never conk out. Never pass out. Never fall asleep when it wasn't your intention to sleep. Mu'mineen are people of deliberate action. Things don't happen to us. We act. We are deliberate actors. We are fa'al. You should never let yourself sleep undeliberately. This is something we will talk about also tomorrow. Here, let me bring it up since I brought it up today. Husband and wife should sleep together simultaneously at the same time. That sentence has enough explanation for you. Husband and wife should sleep together simultaneously and at the same time. Now, you may be wondering, those two words are the same? No. 
husband and wife should sleep together simultaneously and at the same time. That's simple. Even that will be some level of time that you're given. This everybody is on their own schedule. I'm passing out at 11 p.m., she passes out at midnight, she passes out at 10 p.m., I stayed up till midnight. Second thing, I will tell the women some tricks. I was wondering whether to do this. (laughs) I was teasing my wife before I came. I said the only best way to do marriage workshop, but it's not really allowed, is that you should teach the men and I should teach the women. Right? In other words, that I should tell them all the problems that I know we have. (laughs) And you should tell them all the problems that you know you have. (laughs) Right? So I will tell the wife a trick. Never let your husband sleep after you. He should only sleep before you or sleep at the same time as you. Never let him sleep after you. But there are many reasons for this. There are many, many reasons for this. Don't ever let your husband sleep after you. So now I've told it to the husbands also. Yes, you should not go to sleep after your wife. If you're very tired, sometimes happens, you can go to sleep before her. Alright, fine. Sometimes a person is very tired, long day at work, no problem. Maybe she has something she needs to do. You can either go to sleep before her, or you may go to sleep with her. Don't let yourself go to sleep after her. I'm telling you that that time that the husband spends, when the wife is already sleeping, until he sleeps, let's say 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., that is devastating time. You will never do anything wholesome and productive in that time. You want to do ibadah, you go to sleep with her at the sunnah of the Prophet with his wife and you wake up and do ibadah at 4 a.m. No need for you to do ibadah from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. You sleep at 11 p.m. and you wake up for tahajjud. If that is what you claim, that that is why you are staying up. Right? And I tell the wives, again, I'm telling you this from the bottom of my heart, don't let your husband sleep after you. Don't ever let him do it. This will be a preventive medicine to many ills that can take place in this world. And in front of you I told them it's <laughs> better that you also on your own should be honest. This itself is one way of giving time. Alright? Here I also mentioned, already mentioned the story of Sayyidina Abu Dharda radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Sixth ruling, uh, sixth mistake, sixth mistake uh, that the husband makes is that they set rules, strict rules and regulations for their wife and their children, but they don't abide by their rules and regulations themselves. So he'll tell his wife that, okay, we're going to go, fine, you wanted to go out, I'll take you out, but you better not look at anyone. They set a rule, right? Okay, I'll take you out. You wanted to go out, but you better not look at anyone. And himself? <laughs> Does he follow this rule? Allah Akbar. Even in front of his wife, he looks at people. Shameless. It's not even okay that when the wife wasn't there, he looks at anyone and everyone. But even while going with his wife, the wife can catch him looking at women. Let me tell you that wife who she's finally out with her husband. Maybe husband is taking her to park in the daytime with the children, as an example. She is happy. When she sees you from the corner of your eye looking at someone, you destroy her, destroy her. You've destroyed that whole outing, that whole event. We should not be so foolish. 
We should not be so shameless. Yes, if we set a good rule, that one should lower one's gaze, Allah Ta'ala set that rule in Qur'an for both the believing men and the women, we must abide by the rules that we practice. And again, this you would be amazed that this disparity increases amongst the more religious people. The more religious husband is more strict on his wife, that she shouldn't look anywhere. And he is also lax on himself. So if you are striving towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you are correct in inviting your wife and enjoining upon her to strive towards the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have to be striving yourself, otherwise it won't have barakah in it. And this nifaq, this is nifaq al amal, when is nifaq al iman, this hypocrisy in action, this will devastate you. This will suck out the nur of iman and taqwa from your gulf. We must make the same rules and regulations. We must follow and abide by the rules ourselves. The seventh mistake that the husband makes is that he finds faults and criticizes his wife. Criticizing one's wife over small things. Every single thing they blame their wife. Right? Sometimes it's about the food that is made. Sometimes it's about something that was done at home. Sometimes it was about some financial decision. Sometimes about some management. So there's an English saying, and our own Sheikh used to be very fond of this. He still he loves to say that to run a big show, you need a big heart. To run a big show, you need a big heart. And this marriage, and if you want this marriage to take you into Jannah, that's a big event. That's a big affair, a big matter. And in order to do it, you have to have a big heart. What does this mean in Arabic? This is called hilm. Zarf. It means you should have some absorptive capacity. You should be able to absorb a certain amount of discrepancy. Things that don't go exactly to your liking, you should be able to silently absorb a certain amount of that. Then when it crosses that, yes, you may then say something. But we have zero tolerance. We have zero capacity. The slightest of things that go against our wish and will, we go straight to criticizing. So this is another mistake that if the husband is always critical of his wife, overly critical of his wife, and the wife can make the same mistake. The wife who is overly critical or always critical of her husband, this shatters a person's confidence. And remember, always understand everything in light of those ayat and hadith that we started. This cannot be sukoon. This cannot be modda. This cannot be rahmah. If we are always critiquing and criticizing one another, finding faults in one another. Eighth mistake is that the husband gets upset with his wife because of somebody else. What does it mean? So his mother said something, his sister said something, his brother said something. He was actually perfectly happy with his wife. But his brother came and said something. So my wife came home and told me that your wife did this. And without giving her a chance to explain her position, without asking her for her side of the story, he takes a quick reaction and he gets upset with her. So what signal did you send your wife? You sent your wife the signal that you have no value for me whatsoever. Anyone can tell me something about you and I will 100% believe what that other person said and I will not even ask you for your position. That's what happens if you get angry with her because of what somebody said immediately. So we cannot get immediately angry at our wife because of what any third party, third person says. 
And many times the problems husband and wife have is not due to each other, but due to a third party, due to something that someone else said, due to something that someone else observed. You should downplay that. You should view your wife first and foremost in how she is with you. And if later you do find out that there was some discrepancy, some failing on her part with someone else, that cannot erase how she was with you. You cannot let that erase the proper way that she was with you. Ninth mistake that the husbands make is they blame their wife. Any problem happens, they blame their wife. They come home, they see the children are fighting. They blame the wife. Let's say happens to walk and say, what are you doing? What's the matter with you? It's your fault. But she may say, it's not my fault. <laughs> I knew you were coming. I was busy in the kitchen. It happens. I don't have 100% strict control over the children all the time. So we're so quick to blame if something happens. We're so quick to blame the wife. Now there are many, many reasons. If you want to go somewhere and your wife is delayed, right? So you're running late, you blame her. Actually what happened was that the children took a longer time to get changed and then the time your wife, she got off to a late start. She is coming to a late finish because she got off to a late start. She's not to blame for the late start because that was due to your and her children. So if due to the children she gets off to a late start, she will end up on a late finish. And because you didn't have to deal with the children, you got off to a timely start and you had a timely finish. But we won't look at that. We just blame her. Because of you, I'm late. And because the wife loves her children and she won't normally say, no, because, because of the children we're late. Normally she won't say that. She'll just be quiet. And she'll think, okay, my husband is blaming me again. He's upset with me again. So we should lose this quality of always blaming one's wife. And tenth and final thing, and maybe then we're going to have to stop and take a break for Zohar. Tenth mistake that the husband makes. And this is very widespread is that he disregards her family. He doesn't show any interest in her family. He never calls her mother. He never calls her father. He never tries to help out her brother. Maybe her brother's in financial need. Her brother was laid off. He's not interested in her family at all. Yes, Allah Ta'ala has made her part of your family. Yes. She has left her family. She's part of your family. Yes. But still... Her own family is part of your family. <laughs> They're not strangers to you. There's a nisbah. Her mother is the white woman who raised the woman who's in your home. Her father is that man who raised the woman who is in your home. Her brother and sister are the one who took care of her when she was young. That she's now in your home. So the husband should show some interest to his in-laws. This can be very little. I know the temperament of the man, sometimes it's just very difficult to do. And you can't do it, you say, okay, I'll call my father-in-law. And you think, and it's just not something you want to do, so you just keep doing it. You'd rather surf and do this and do that, and even when you want to, you just can't move yourself to do it. So this requires some mujahidah, yes. You have to make effort, you have to strive for the sake of the wife, you have to do things that you don't like doing. And you want her to be exactly the same way with you. You want her, for your sake, to do things that sometimes is not what 100% she is happy about doing. Not the first thing that would come to mind. So you have to show that is that this is part of deen. Sayyidina Rasulullah said that when the people get married, the in-laws are like your parents. The in-laws have the daraja of your own parents. 
So if nothing else you can do so with the niyat of deen, with the niyat of getting the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you should reach out to the wise relatives, help the wise relatives, show your concern for the wise relatives. I would also tell you that that husband who takes care of his wife's relatives, even if he doesn't do such a best job of taking care of his wife, his wife will still be happy with him. Because just simply he looks after my family. He's taking care of my family. So these were ten major mistakes that the husband made. And we can take a break for Zohar, and then I will have to increase the speed a little bit. So we'll briefly give them ten rules for the husband, and then we'll shift and do twenty things for the wife, uh, and then we'll call it a day.